the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning, Cleveland, the best location in the nation, home to the smartest, toughest, most industrious, and this is most important, best-looking people on earth. You're listening to the Bob France Authority. Pete Kersenow here, substituting for Bob France. Don't worry, nothing wrong with Bob. He's just taking the day off. This is Tuesday, the 17th of March in the year of our Lord, 2020. It's St. Patrick's Day, but you probably wouldn't know it. Pubs are closed. There's no St. Patrick's Day parade. It is a little gloomy out there, which is par for the course for Cleveland this time of year. Bob is once again cheating disaster and the FCC by asking me to sub for him. Bob's second to none as the best radio talk show host in America, although, frankly, Rush will continue to get the nod mainly based on seniority, and after all, he's Rush, and he's won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I usually, for those of you who listen to the show every Tuesday, give the countdown to opening day for the Indians, but as you know, all spring sports leagues have postponed events. Some have suspended their seasons indefinitely. For those of you unfamiliar with me, and if you're a regular listener to this station, that probably doesn't include you. I'm a lawyer, the longest-serving member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. I appear from time to time on the other Salem Network shows, from Hugh Hewitt to Larry Elder and everyone in between, and I'm Bob's regular Tuesday morning guest. Oh, yes, I uh, also do the Kersenow Report, heard several times daily on this station. And if you're a regular listener, you know that I'm the author of political thrillers Target Omega, Second Strike, and the upcoming Black Russian. Please buy them, please, and help the GDP in this time of coronavirus. Besides, there's no sporting events on TV, and how many times can you listen to newscasters completely freak 
out about coronavirus. Our telephone number, if you'd like to be involved in the conversation, is 888-281-1110-888-281-1110, or, this is easier to remember, 901-0945-901-0945. Everyone is talking about coronavirus. We will, too, for a bit, but at the bottom of this hour, we'll be talking to Jay Christian Adams, who you've probably seen a thousand times on Fox News about the upcoming election and the problem of ensuring that only those eligible to vote actually vote. Jay was uh, Jay Christian Adams was part of the Presidential Election Commission. He's testified before the Civil Rights Commission, and we'll be talking to him. And then at 10.05, we'll be talking to Roger Clegg, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General of the Center for Equal Opportunity, um, uh, also the head of the Center for Equal Opportunity, about the latest developments in racial engineering, specifically racial discrimination at Harvard and the effect of the uh, uh, California effort to repeal Prop 209 that prohibits racial discrimination and racial preferences that are euphemistically called affirmative action in higher education and public contracting. And then at 1030, We'll talk to Christiana Holcomb from our friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom about a lawsuit they filed on behalf of female athletes who've had to compete against biological males who identify as females. You've probably heard about this situation. Months ago, I talked with um, uh, Bob about this, and another occasion when I guest hosted, we also talked about it. It is a proliferating issue, and one which several states, including Ohio, seek to address pursuant to legislation, it's um, interesting that we have to address it pursuant to uh, litigation or legislation um, because we have a number of other existing statutes and regs that you would think, if were read clearly, would make this a non-issue. Obviously, none of the things that I just mentioned relates to coronavirus with which the airwaves have been saturated for the last week. And you're probably saying to yourself, I don't want to hear about coronavirus anymore. It's coronavirus all the time. If you turn on any of the news stations, it's coronavirus this, coronavirus that. They have a scroll across the bottom giving you updates about Elmer's uh, foods uh, supply has uh, suspended operations. Uh, It gets into granular detail. And obviously, I am not trying to diminish this. We will, however... Get beyond this moment. Wash your hands. Act prudently. Take recommended precautions and common sense measures. Unfortunately, mass media and common sense don't often go together. We've got the proliferation of Twitter and Facebook and everything else. So instead, what we get is hysteria fueled by all these instant experts in virology, epidemiology, immunology, all the ologies, and pandemic vectors. We have to be smart about this disease. Don't downplay it, and I'm not downplaying it whatsoever. React, but don't overreact, because overreacting or reacting unintelligently compounds the problem. Witness our economy. Because talk radio focuses largely on politics and culture, talking about the political effect of coronavirus though secondary to health and welfare concerns, is inevitable. And it's no surprise how the mainstream media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, are playing this. 
uh, we should know in terms of news, instead of dwelling on the minutia of things we already know, that there are currently five, maybe six vaccines that are going to clinical trials in the coming weeks. In fact, two are being tested right now on volunteers. I think they hold a lot of promise based on everything I've read, but you know the procedure takes quite some time because you want to make sure the vaccines aren't worse than that which they are trying to cure. There are also a couple of medical developments with respect to, uh, not cure, but prevent. There are also some medical developments with respect to possible treatments, if not cures, that seem to be promising. But who knows when they will transpire. I know this much, that if we treat this as one of my friends has mentioned a Manhattan project where we devote substantial resources to this, this thing will be contained. One of the things that I would say, however, is I think we need to be responsible, but I have a lot of questions, as many of you do. I'm not a medical professional, but I listen closely to all of them. And in my practice, I have to be somewhat familiar with this because we do render advice related to the effects of coronavirus on a whole host of legal issues. Uh, again, prudence is important. Listen to the pros on this, but that doesn't staunch the fact that we have, a lot of us have questions about this because there are certain things that I will speak for myself in my mind raise questions that I would like to have answers, and I've listened to wall-to-wall coverage of the coronavirus, and I'm still not getting the answers that I would like. Getting a lot lot of good ones, but perspective is in order. My friend Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute, one of the smartest people I know, wrote a column a few days ago talking about perspective and proportion. And that is, uh, and there was another doctor that... um, wrote a very good article, I think it's Dr. Brian Jundup, if I'm not mistaken, who wrote an article, this is a doctor who's involved in this stuff, and he has the same kind of questions. Uh, the questions are, why is this virus, and there may be very good faith reasons for this, really substantial reasons, and I know in some of them we've heard about them, but there's still something missing here because I don't see the type of correlatives that I'm waiting for H1N1, as we know, the swine flu pandemic of 2009, remember that. Uh, it's probably the closest comparator to what we're experiencing now. And as the Dr. Jundoff and Heather McDonald talk about, there were no cancellations of sports leagues, the NBA, you know, Major League Baseball, mass gatherings weren't prohibited, travel wasn't prohibited. But it claimed thousands of victims. In fact, there were 13,000 deaths. And by a similar point in time, there were already hundreds of deaths. I haven't looked at the latest tallies, but as of yesterday, there were approximately 72 deaths in the United States. And again, that's 72 too many, but we are a nation of 330 million people. 61 million people got swine flu back in 2009 across the world, and there were a quarter of a million people hospitalized, and that may turn out to be the case, and it could be even worse this time. But so far, that hasn't panned out. I just would like an explanation for that. I'm not ascribing any kind of grand conspiracy or that there's something, you know, nefarious going on. It's just that when we're inundated with this information and it's a life and death issue, we'd like to get the most relevant information so we can comport ourselves appropriately 
given that information. Haven't gotten it, though. Now, one other thing, and I, I don't know if we have enough time to talk about this, but I'll get into it if I do, and that is, uh, again, all this coronavirus prompts a number of observations. You may have seen a couple of very smart people uh, talk about some ancillary effects of coronavirus in terms of policy prescriptions. Uh, Our friend Tucker Carlson, for example, has raised the issue of the supply chain dependency on China and how over the last 30 years, many of us, I know I talked to a number of you out in the audience, many of us for a long time were troubled by that. It seemed as if we were selling out to China. And I don't mean to say that again in some kind of jingoistic fashion, but my goodness, jobs were being lost. My belief was that national security was being placed at risk and people were blithely going along with it. And now it's pretty clear that China is not our friend. They may not be an enemy, but they surely are a hostile adversary. There are a number of other issues with respect to other countries and a number of policy prescriptions that certain folks have promoted that now, in the light of coronavirus, are as questionable as many of us thought they were. And one of those is immigration. I don't know if many of you saw the debate between Biden and Sanders on Sunday. I watched a portion of it before I, well, I didn't fall asleep, but my brain kind of checked out at some point, similar to Joe Biden's brain. But I I actually thought he was somewhat lucid, more lucid than I've seen him in any other debate. Uh, But he was lucid only cosmetically, only superficially, because his policy prescriptions were not lucid, but lunatic. Consider his position on immigration. And when we have a little bit more time, especially when Bob comes back, we'll have an exchange about this, I hope we'll talk about it, because Bob is outstanding at identifying these issues. But we need to talk about the policy prescriptions that the Democratic Party have proposed in light of coronavirus, which highlights the sheer lunacy of such proposals. We'll be back in a minute. We'll rejoin that conversation at the bottom of the hour. Jay Christian Adams on the important upcoming election. that begins with Jimi Hendrix could possibly be a bad morning. And even though we've got coronavirus, we've got Hendrix, we've got Steppenwolf, we've got all manner of things. Pete Kirsten out here substituting for Bob France on the Bob France Authority. We're talking about coronavirus because everybody is at the bottom of the hour. We'll be joined by Christian Adams to talk about the election. Uh, But to finish the thought with respect to coronavirus and how it highlights the insanity of certain policy prescriptions. I mentioned earlier that I thought that Joe Biden during the Sunday debate was more lucid than I've ever seen, but his policy prescriptions on a whole host of issues were insane, including that with respect to immigration, especially in the context of coronavirus. Consider 
that what his platform, and I've taken a look at it, his platform essentially amounts to open borders. He denies that it's open borders, but the effect of it is essentially open borders. He's not going to deport anybody for the first 100 days. He's not going to deport anybody at any time unless they've committed a felony here in the United States, and he won't turn over people to ICE. And on top of that, he's going to stop construction of the border wall. There's going to be all kinds of other things that he's going to do I don't have time to talk about, but it is a serious problem. Open borders, and then you remember that iconic moment Last summer in Detroit, when Savannah Guthrie asked all the Democratic contenders during the debate to raise their hands if their health care plans provided health care for illegal immigrants, everybody, including Biden, raised their hand. That was a snapshot moment right there. A number of people on Twitter, Facebook said the election was lost right there by the Democrats. But it gets even worse with the coronavirus pandemic. Consider that if we extend uh, free health care to illegal immigrants, it would kill the national debt. I mean, it would expand the national debt and, and kill um, our budget. Uh, I talked with Bob last week about the Center for Immigration Studies study on how much illegal immigrants take out of the public fisc as opposed to contributing to the public fisc. And over a lifetime, it is nearly $1 trillion, and that's based only on 11 million immigrants, okay? Only 11 million illegal immigrants. Now, consider that you're going to add to that health care coverage, open borders, in a time of pandemic. It will be an astonishingly powerful magnet to draw people across the border, which is going to be open under Biden. They get free health care, and then, strangely enough, by the way, Mexico's closing uh borders also because it doesn't want to get infected by the coronavirus but if all these individuals come to get the best health care in the country and be in the best country in the world think of the influx with open borders a pandemic and free health care that is lunacy on steroids but he articulates that without anybody in the panel of moderators even blinking as if the united states of america has a responsibility to take care of the entire world. First of all, the United States does take care of much of the world in so many different ways. Consider what kind of place the world would be without the United States of America. But we have a challenge taking care of our own citizens. And yet Joe Biden and the rest of the Democrats want us to be the caretakers of the entire world. Understand also that coronavirus will pass. We have to be prudent and take all the diligent steps that you're required to take or told to take by the experts, the medical experts. But at the end of the day, we've got a country to run. The economy will come back. I think I, uh, my friend Mark Thiessen said last night that he expects there to be a recession, but it'll be a V-shaped recession. That is, there'll be a drop, and then it will go way up really fast, and the president indicated that's the case, too. I think, based on all the underlying factors, that's probably true. But we have to make sure that all of the steps we take are smart now, but also smart for the future. And one of the things we think about in the future, again, politics infuses everything, is how does this pandemic affect politics and the upcoming election? This is the greatest, uh, I hate to be cynical, but this is an opportunity for the Democrats who couldn't take out Trump with Russiagate and Mueller. They couldn't take out Trump with Ukraine and impeachment. As I said, 
weeks, maybe even months ago, coronavirus and the economic effect of coronavirus is the one thing that could take out Donald Trump. Biden can't do it. Sanders can't do it. That's a fantasy of the left. But coronavirus is the issue that will define this election. And despite the repeated misrepresentations in the media, and you've heard them, they've been major ones with respect to the Trump reaction to this, Trump has reacted faster in similar circumstances than any other president. And by the other president, the most recent one was Obama, who took a full six months in the face of swine flu before he declared an emergency, and thousands of people had already died. You heard nothing about that. As Dr. Jundiff said, wait a minute, what, why didn't we hear anything about this? Why weren't major league teams shutting down? And there's good reason for, for doing that. I'm not disputing that. But the question it still remains, why the difference? And as Heather McDonald has indicated, last year we had 34,200 deaths from the flu the ordinary flu. I'm sorry, not last year, but the 2018-2019 flu season. But this one will be somewhat similar. That happens all the time. Now, there may be a real reason why we treat this differently. I'm not discounting that. It seems to be a particularly virulent virus, one that debilitates people more readily than the flu. But the death rate is substantially greater thus far. Maybe this will turn out to be the disaster of the century. We hope it will not because we've got a lot of good people taking prophylactic measures to prevent it. But I would like that question answered, just out of curiosity. We'll be back at the bottom of the hour with Christian Adams to talk about the integrity of the election. Peekhurst now sitting in for Bob France. Again, this is an outstanding day. Jimi Hendrix, Steppenwolf, all the berserkers. We are privileged to have my friend Jay Christian Adams as our next guest. This is primary day. It's been suspended in Ohio, as so much has because of coronavirus, but we have a crucial election coming up in a few months. Democrats have pulled out all the stops to take out Donald Trump. This is going to be yet another consequential election, and nobody better to talk about election and ballot integrity than J. Christian Adams, my friend who has testified brilliantly before my Civil Rights Commission back during the new Black Panther Party controversy. He has been a former member of the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. He was also a member of President Trump's Election Integrity Commission, and he knows more about election law and all the manners in which people try to skirt that law. And I'm talking about um, a donkey party mainly in doing so. But he knows it better than anybody. So welcome to WHK1420. Christian Adams, are you there, Christian? Hey, Peter, it is absolutely great to be here with you today on Strange Circumstances. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. Um, we exchanged emails earlier about what's going on with respect to this election, and your organization, the uh, Public Interest Legal Foundation, 
has been monitoring election integrity for quite some time. You've filed, filed lawsuits where necessary to make sure that we had voter roll integrity. And this is an issue that I've been harping on for a long time, but you're the pro at this. You've been actually down in the trenches fighting this battle, taking all kinds of incoming from the usual suspects. You filed more recently a lawsuit in Pennsylvania, which is a swing state that Donald Trump must win. It's one of the states that uh, was considered to be part of the blue wall, but swung to Trump in the last election and helped him become president of the United States. Why did you file this lawsuit, and against whom did you file it? Well, uh, the county of Allegheny, where Pittsburgh is in, has a complete mess on their hands with voter rolls. For example, Peter, we found one individual... One individual in Allegheny County was actually registered to vote simultaneously seven times. In other words, they had seven active registrations, the same exact person. That's never supposed to happen, and it's not just this one person. It was a whole bunch of people were registered two, three, four times to vote. You had dead people on the rolls uh, in large numbers, people who had died a very long time ago, that weren't being removed. Some of them voted. And this is endemic across the country. We also are suing the city of Detroit for the exact same thing, where they're just not doing their job in keeping the voter rolls clean. They're allowing people to have multiple votes. They're allowing the dead to vote. And this is just not acceptable uh, in a place like Pittsburgh or Detroit. Christian, I keep getting pushback from progressives that they claim to debunk all of the things you've just mentioned. Now, I have seen at the Civil Rights Commission confirmation of what you're talking about, that the NVRA, the National Voter Registration Act, has not been complied with, that there are multiple violations in a number of jurisdictions, that there are more people on voter rolls in some places than there are people in that actual district. Yet they keep saying to me, that's bull, you guys are exaggerating this, there's nothing like this going on, there are precious few cases of voter fraud. What say you? Well, look, this is, these are the people who always uh, harp at us about the importance of science, right? The importance of data, right? It's usually, by the way, like an anti-religious slur when they do that, but put that aside for a minute. These are the people who are constantly obsessed with... <laughs> Uh, data and now that we have data and nobody's done this by the way peter we, we, what we did is we took the voter rolls of these places and we amalgamated them into a central database and then we bounced it against commercial data to see who actually died we bounced it against social security death index to see who actually died and it's not complicated you know those of you out there listening who have ever used that magic program called Excel, right? <laughs> Microsoft Excel. What you do is you put the voter rolls in Excel and you hit the sort button. It's really simple. And suddenly you start to see people registered multiple times, the same people, people voting multiple times that are registered multiple times. And this is data. This is not rocket science. And, and we did this for the first time. Uh, I'll never forget, Peter, I had a deposition in a case down in Texas, very similar to these, you know, in the Rio Grande Valley, and I asked the election official, I said, have you ever put your data in Excel? And they're like, no. <laughs> have you ever sorted your voter rolls by name or by address or birth date? No. And so they're just not doing it. Now, 
I'm going to push back a little bit more on behalf of my liberal friends who are listening to this show because I'm substituting and they're hoping that I make a big mess of it. But every time I talk to them about even the possibility of voter fraud or that the voter rolls are not being properly maintained, they say, even if all you say is accurate, it may affect one or two or three more votes per particular precinct at best, and more likely only a couple of votes in the entire election for whatever candidate or proposition you're talking about. But even if it affects one or two or just ten, is this something about which we should be concerned? Well, first of all, how much voter fraud are we willing to tolerate? Uh, that's the first response I have. It's like, who should give up their vote so some criminal in Cleveland casts a felonious vote two or three times? Whose vote? Raise your hand if you want to be the person to give up your vote. But putting that aside, Peter, I go back to the number 537. 537. You know what that is? The number of votes between Gore and Bush in Florida. Right. It decided the presidency of the United States, 537, across an entire state where millions voted. And I will tell you, the Public Interest Legal Foundation has just completed a study of Palm Beach voter rolls. It's called Calm Before the Storm. You can get it. It's a real fun PDF to look at. It's colorful and easy to read. It's called Calm Before the Storm. We found in Florida more, more than 537 invalid votes in the last couple years. Now, I will submit to you, Peter, that if we have a presidential election like that again, that is so close, and then people do what we did and go look for illegal votes, it's destabilizing to the country. Right. It undermines the integrity of the election, people's confidence in those elected officials. It it really makes us seem like a banana republic, but the cosmetic aspect of this is the least of our concern. Christian, you were part of the President's Election Integrity Commission, and among the things you guys looked at were, of course, whether or not there were people voting who weren't entitled to vote, whether they be felons, non-citizens, whatever it may be. Let's focus, if we could, for a moment on felon voting. I know that there's a movement abroad and has been for 20 years minimum, but it's gaining even more momentum to permit felons to vote, not just felons who've been released and served a particular probationary period, but those who are actually in jail. Bernie Sanders is an advocate of this. Tell our audience what that means and to what extent there may be felons illegally voting today. Well, the reason Bernie Sanders is an advocate of this is because, well, one of the reasons is he lives in a state where it happens. In Vermont and in Maine, they roll the voting machines right into the prisons on Election Day. So there's precincts inside prisons for the prisoners to vote. And in other states... There's a a lifetime ban on voting for felons. Now, look, this is a Federalist question, Peter. The states should have the authority to decide how to handle this issue. I think that's one of the great, great parts of our republic is the states get to decide. When you have crazy people who want prisoners voting and they have a majority in Vermont, let them do it. If you have people who think those who broke the law should have no say in writing the law, then have a say like Kentucky that doesn't let felons vote for the rest of their lives. And so that's one of the great things about our our country. And it's no accident, of course, that the the Democrats want to nationalize the standard. 
that they want all felons everywhere to always be able to vote. And that's just not how it's supposed to be in America. And do we have data showing if felons are permitted to vote, what are their tendencies in terms of party affiliation? Well, there actually was a study by Northwestern a number of years ago that indicated uh, that three presidential elections would have come out differently if it was the Maine and Vermont model because of the proclivities of felon voters. And this goes a long way to explain why this is a top issue agenda of the Democratic Party, because they see a whole bunch of untapped voters. Uh, And I'm not being cynical. I'm just describing correctly how they view it. And that's why uh, Norm Coleman lost his Senate seat, Peter. He lost his Senate seat because of a combination of felon voters voting illegally in Minnesota with same-day voter registration. In other words, in Minnesota, you just walk up to the polls. You don't register to vote ahead of time. And you can be vouched for. Like, this is Sven, my cousin, and he is who he says he is and let him vote. In Minnesota, that happened. And more than 1,200 illegal felons who weren't allowed to vote did same-day registration in Minnesota, and they voted for Al Franken. And they, that's what got Norm Coleman defeated. And the reason I know they voted for Al Franken is because the news media interviewed them. They went to their houses and Amazing. knocked on their doors, and every single one of them who voted illegally told the cameras that they voted for Al Franken. Yeah, and I believe it was in Ohio, our Secretary of State a few years ago testified before Congress that there were 82 elections in Ohio for various offices, whether it be mayor, council person, Secretary of State, whatever it might be, that were decided by just one vote. That's 82 elections just in the state of Ohio in that specific election. So if you think this is a minor issue, and I'm talking to the audience, this is not a minor issue. This is derogation of our democracy, and we've got J. Christian Adams who's fighting a lonely battle. There are not too many uh, like him. I mean, we've got uh, Chris Kobach and a few others, but we are not manning the ramparts sufficiently to make sure that the integrity of American elections is preserved because there is a monumental effort to undermine the integrity of the elections. Um, you've got a lawsuit against Allegheny County, and where is that? Is that Pittsburgh? Right, it's Pittsburgh, uh, greater Pittsburgh area. And you also said you had one against uh, involving the Detroit area, correct? Right, city of Detroit. They, uh, You think it's bad in Pittsburgh. Oh, boy, Detroit. Detroit is as bad as you might think. Yeah. Um, any other lawsuits that you've got pending right now? Oh, yeah. No, all over the country. We, we have uh, one of the things we're trying to do is get voter rolls. You know, I told you we're getting voter rolls from around the country to look at them. Um, you have to give those up under the National Voter Registration Act. And Maine has refused to do it, so the Public Interest Legal Foundation sued Maine. Maryland has refused to do it, so the Public Interest Legal Foundation sued Maryland. We're looking very closely at uh, Illinois. Pennsylvania, uh, they've, uh, Peter, this is a huge deal. For 20 years, PennDOT in Pennsylvania was accidentally registering foreigners to vote. Whenever you went and got your driver's license and you did motor voter, they were, people could say, are you a U.S. citizen? They would say no, and they would still get registered to vote in Pennsylvania. Or they wouldn't even be asked. It was a total screw-up. We asked for the records of this screw-up, and under the voter, National Voter Registration Act, under the federal law, they're supposed to give us all their list maintenance records. 
so the public can see what they're doing. Well, they refuse to do it because the problem is so big they had to hide it. We've been in federal court against Pennsylvania trying to get these records for over a year. We're also suing Houston, which is Harris County, for the same thing. The number of foreigners voting in our elections would astound listeners. It's not just a small problem. It's happening for a variety of reasons, including third-party registration drives and screw-ups by election officials. Uh, Christian, obviously you're fighting a uphill battle here. You've got one organization that's taking on all these battles, and you've got an entire phalanx on the other side pushing back, including the government itself, the various governmental components. Could you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you at um, or your organization at uh, the Public Election Integrity Committee? I'm sorry, the, the Public Interest Legal Foundation? Right, it's publicinterestlegal.org, publicinterestlegal.org. And, Peter, you're exactly right. Every single one of those groups that testify to your Civil Rights Commission, you know, about this and that civil rights issue, they have a department essentially devoted to elections, right? That You know, the ACLU, all of those civil rights groups always have a wing that is devoted to messing up elections. And so you recognize how bad it is. Yeah. And, uh, Christian, when we come back, I want to ask you briefly about uh, or follow up on non-citizens voting. Again, this is an important issue. We've got J. Christian Adams fighting a very tough and lonely battle, but doing so effectively against the massive forces arrayed on the left to undermine our election integrity. Get in touch with the Public Interest Legal Foundation. Preserve our democracy. 1420 AM. Pete Kirsten now substituting for Bob France. We'll be right back. Good morning, Cleveland. This is Pete Kersnow sitting in for the great Bob France on the Bob France Authority. It's election season. It was actually supposed to be primary election day here in Ohio, but coronavirus intervened. We're talking election integrity with Jay Christian Adams of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. He is fighting a lonely but effective battle against the massive forces on the left that do a lot of interesting things to affect the outcome of the election. And one of the things that we saw, Christian, for about two and a half years was this claim on the part of Democrats in the media, but I repeat myself, that Russians actually affected the outcome of the election and they were just immersed in this narrative. They were so concerned about foreign influence, but it doesn't seem to translate into any kind of concern about non-citizens voting. To what extent is it a problem that we have individuals who are not even citizens or not entitled to vote voting in American elections? Well, it's a huge problem, and we've been documenting this around the country, Peter, through a very simple way. We just write election officials and ask for records under the National Voter Registration Act, you know, the public disclosure provisions of non-citizens who self-report, who remove themselves from the rolls, and boy, do they tell stories. 
I mean, it's over and over again in places like New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, Florida, California, Illinois. These non-citizens are getting on the rolls through third-party registration drives. One person said that they thought they were registering for the school student body council president race. It's crazy stuff. And you might ask, why in the world would they be writing in? Well, they're writing in because they're applying for their green card. They're applying for citizenship. And question 12 on the federal form says, have you ever registered to vote? Have you ever voted? If so, you need to take yourself off the rolls. And so it creates an incentive for people to send these ridiculous letters to election officials describing the excuses how they got on the rolls. And all we do at Public Interest Legal Foundation is dredge these letters up, uh, you know, to see what's going on. And it's astonishing. I mean, people just don't realize how many foreigners are participating in American elections. You know, um, when we talk about foreigners and identification, at the Civil Rights Commission, as you've indicated, we have hearings relatively regularly where I have witnesses tell me that voter ID or a voter ID requirement, you must present some form of governmental identification in order to be able to cast a ballot, is racist, uh, you know, uh, jingoist, whatever it may be. To what extent are voter ID requirements lawful, and to what extent are they necessary? Well, look, voter ID is a, is a great thing to have. It should be easy and free to get. And it not only helps make sure that the person voting is who they say they are, it helps with criminal prosecutions. If two people, like we're finding all over the country, voted, if a person voted twice and law enforcement goes after them, it's very easy for them to say, hey, that wasn't me who voted in Pennsylvania, in Florida, on the same election. And it's because Pennsylvania doesn't have a voter ID requirement. But if, if they do these in states where there's a voter ID requirement, it's much easier for a prosecutor to prove that that was that person. So voter ID has a lot of benefits. It's no accident that the left hates it because they hate everything that leads to the integrity of our elections. Yeah, um, you mentioned something that I'm not sure our listeners are familiar with. You talked about third-party registration drives. What does that mean? Well, these are activist groups, sometimes uh, like the Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund or La Raza, uh, or other ethnic uh, r- uh, racial groups that go into communities and badger people to register to vote. And these are the people who registered this guy in Pittsburgh seven times, an out-of-state third-party registration drive. They give him the form, they fill it out, they take it back, they turn it in. And what happens is they have an incentive to get as many people registered as possible. And in most states, there's very few safeguards against this behavior. Christian, we have a very committed listenership here. They are politically active. I know I've met so many of them, and they're they're very energetic people. If they want to get in touch with you and possibly assist your organization, remind us again how they can do so. Publicinterestlegal.org. There's a whole bunch of good stuff there. You can read about elections. Publicinterestlegal.org. You can email us. You can call us. You can uh, let us know what's going on in Ohio. And if, if nothing else, Sign up to work at the polls. That's one thing you could do that's a big help. Christian Adams on Election Day. Thanks very much. This has been extremely helpful. This is Pete Kersnow sitting in for the incomparable Bob France. When we come back, we'll be talking to the incomparable Roger Clegg about another issue that you'll be interested in, and that is racial discrimination. That's not how they characterize it, but that's how it is. 
See you at the other side of the hour. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.